Hey, before we get started, this is something I usually mention at the end of the show, but I know it can get a little lost there, so I just want to prod you a little bit. If you've got a few seconds, hop over to your podcast app and leave us a rating. Or if you've got like two minutes, maybe even type up a short review. It really helps us and it helps people learn about us. Anyway, either way, we're glad you're here with us and hope you're having as much fun as we are. Oh, and tell your friends. Okay, that's it. Thanks. Here we go. Nuclear. Now, is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Every episode, Kathy and Ross send me a word. I try to pronounce that word. I may be wrong. I may be right. And then we just see where that goes. Well, hey, you two. We're uh, past the holidays now and sort of, I guess, getting back into kind of a regular pattern. Uh, do you have anything that you can tell us about that you've got on the horizon for 2019? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of it. We have a book coming out. We're finishing up a book on... Um... Uh, what's the name of it now? I don't remember the name. We have a tentative name. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? About very intelligent words that we sort of know, but don't really quite kind of know very well. Words like inchoate. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Perfunctory actually is one that we put on the list because many people don't know it, although that one we did. Um, words also that are sort of common, but you don't really know what they mean, like quantum. We found quantum coffee quantum this, quantum that. And then we went around asking people, what does quantum mean? And virtually no one knew. So that was an interesting one as well. It's been edifying, to say the least, and frighteningly <laughs> so, I might add. I've learned I've been talking a lot about nothing. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's definitely something for us all to look forward to. Cool. Uh, well, this uh, this week, we're doing something a little different again. Uh, you have not given me a word, but instead, uh, you've given me a particular phrase to listen to. To boldly go where no one has gone before. And there I used uh, Picard's version because it's a little bit more inclusive than Kirk's version, which says no man has gone before. But... Uh, but I don't think that's what you're getting at here. You're getting at the fact that there's a split infinitive there to boldly go. And uh, I want to say that until very, very, very recently, uh, that would have bothered me a lot. And I have uh, throughout my life contorted myself in various ways so as not to split my infinitives. And I sort of realized that it was really hard and... Uh, it wasn't really getting me anywhere. It's hard to write that way. It's even harder to speak that way. And I don't really see any reason we can't split our infinitives. There are two words in English, to run, to go. Why not split that infinitive? I, I now have no real problem with it. Very good. You've boldly gone into the future. Yeah, there's, I don't see any reason not to split an infinitive. And in fact, Kathy and I have looked at the history of splitting infinitives or not splitting infinitives. And we found basically... English has changed over the years. First, you, there were no infinitives to split. Old English didn't have a split infinitive such as a to blank the word. And then in modern English, everyone splits them anyway. Well, the whole thing is that they often say that the whole point of the, the, the rule, this unspoken rule, actually it became a written rule, of not splitting infinitive came because Latin infinitives weren't split. And they said, well, if it's like that, that was the whole Latinate craze. 
And I mean, they also say that you can't split infinitives in Latin because they're just one word. But this is something I think Ross is going to take exception to as our Latin expert. Wait one second. Let's be just a little more clear about that. We we decided we couldn't split infinitives in English because Latin didn't do it, and we wanted English to be more like Latin. Is that the case? Exactly. It's that whole thing when everybody. It was mainly in the the 1800s when when English became as Latin based as possible. Everybody wanted everything to be more Latinate. But actually, though, there are two things. I want to say here first of all in the 1700s when the big latin craze was going on people weren't really talking about split infinitives because no one was splitting them for some reason by the late 1700s and the early 1800s a lot of people began splitting them and then these grammarian prescriptivists came in and said you can't do it and they based that on latin well the interesting thing is the first explanations of split infinitives and why not to do it didn't say Latin. They just said, they imply that you sounded like an uneducated boor if you split your infinitives. I mean, the first, I think the first published one was like in 1803 or something like that. And he just basically said, it's just not good. You sound uneducated. So there wasn't so much a reason as, uh, linguistically as there was uh, just, hey, you sound like a dummy when you do that. Well, I love that. Yeah, Richard Grant White was a really big uh, grammar writer in the later 1800s. And he said they, it's grossly unclassical. He called American English a combination. He was American, a combination of vulgarity and pomposity. And this is eminently un-English to split an infinitive. It's barbaric. Well, he's got he's got a lot of punch. <laughs> oh, I love we should actually do a thing on Richard Grant White. I just love him. He he just was he was running around. He said real estate was a horrible word that is a vulgar phrase. Real estate transactions should be called sales of land. And can I just throw one last one out? He had a big thing about dirt roads. Dirt means filth, he said. So when ladies who are intelligent and well-educated said they like to ride on dirt roads, they should say, I like to ride on a ground road. But this is the sort of thing. These are the same people who are telling you can't split infinitive. I say dirt road every day. I see real estate every day. And I split infinitive. Well, that reminds me of like the whole Victorian thing where you couldn't say, remember legs? You had to say like nether regions and <laughs> delicate orbs or whatever. I can't re I can't think like the poet that remember when we used to collect bad poetry. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. Some doozies. So when did things start start to shift? Uh, when did we start to see people split their infinitives uh, willy nilly? Well, actually, they were splitting them at, from the beginning. I mean, we have examples of from the 13th century, where infinitives were split Shakespeare, uh, split infinitives. Um, no, actually, Dryden, that's wrong. Pope. I'm sorry to say that uh, by Shakespeare's time, Shakespeare only has one or two split infinitives as an entire thing. They, they were you're right they were doing it earlier oh. in middle english then you get to shakespeare i think there are only two split infinitives in the entire corpus someone actually tried to count them and they only found two <laughs> then they came back again yeah that's right okay you're right i'm just looking you're right because we've got the ones that really use them daniel defoe benjamin franklin wordsworth abraham abraham lincoln george Eliot, henry james robert burns so i mean it did become more popular now they say it's 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 just super common, especially in conversation. Um, we'd found one survey in England that found that uh, split infinitives are now three times as common in British speech as they were in the early 1900s, 1990s. Excuse me. So it's really skyrocketing. Oh, very quickly too. Yeah, uh, and and all those names you mentioned a moment ago, uh, those aren't exactly slouches in the world's in the world of language and writing. No, they're not. Well, we had we found one example, I think, from uh, Samuel Johnson, who was the 
first really major English dictionary writer, and he split infinitives. He has one, Milton was too busy to much miss his wife. I mean, it became common again, but it's a fashion rather than like a, a cut and dried rule. It's interesting. I'm sorry, that example you just used, to me, that doesn't sound as good. I, I think it would sound better if he hadn't split it, don't you? I'm just I'm just talking about how it sounds. What do you think? Oh, I actually, you know, when I read it now, I think you're right. But I think it's probably it probably sounded better to the ears in the 1700s than it does now, which goes back to say English follows fashions. I mean, things sound well, they sound good now. They used to not sound good then and vice versa. And I think in this case, with the split infinitive, things sounded, although that one does, I agree with you now. But I mean, other ones, I mean, we'll go to the boldly go where no one has gone before. To go boldly doesn't sound as good. I mean, that's just to the ear at all. That's one where you can clearly see how much better it sounds splitting it. Right. And I mean, we really do sometimes, like I said, turn ourselves in knots trying not to split our infinitives. And, and it does, I mean, even on an aesthetic level, sometimes just make it sound worse. It can also make the meaning change. I'm going to just do one right now. He failed completely to understand this topic. Okay. He failed to completely understand this topic. They mean two different things. Yes. So so in the one case, uh, it means uh, you understand nothing about it at all. And then in the other case, it means there's a portion of it that you don't understand. Precisely. Well, that's the problem with split infinitives. I do think that sometimes they're right. I mean, even if technically and, and we go back to the whole argument about the contortions people go through. And I'm one of them. I've got to admit it was drummed so much into my head that you don't split infinitives that I find myself sometimes contorting to not split it when really it would sound better if you split it. But it's interesting. Thing, though i mean fowler who was who wrote the king's english the fowler brothers they said the happiest people of all are those in the world who neither know nor care what a split infinitive is and i sort of agree i think it i don't think i don't think we need to know what it is it's just, if it sounds right one way we do it that way if it sounds better the other way we do it the other way earlier kathy was saying how in the case of um when the when uh when the infinitive was split in the 1700s when i use that one example um, from Samuel Johnson, it sounded ugly. In that case, we shouldn't split the infinitive. To boldly go where no one has gone before is a good case of splitting the infinitive. I think what sounds best is what we should do. Well, this reminds me of the other rule that we often have. I mean, that everybody has drummed into their heads as kids not to end a sentence with a preposition. It's a similar problem because a lot of times ending it with a preposition sounds a lot better than not ending it with a preposition. It's another case where you contort yourself to like do the quote rule, unquote. You know what I mean? And that's another case of following the Latin. The rule came from the Latin again. So again, uh, the the not ending the sentence with a preposition is, is a result of trying to make English more like Latin and not any real um, uh, rule that that needs to exist in the English language. Exactly. I mean, and you look at it like, what are you talking about? That sounds a lot better than going about what are you talking, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> especially, yes. With, especially with the accent like me. About what are you talking <laughs> doesn't sound very good. <laughs> but that again comes from the Latin. It was uh, Dryden, the poet, had a big fit about uh, a fellow rival, Ben Johnson, who ended, I think it, was, it came in 1611, and uh, Johnson had a phrase, the bodies that those souls were frighted from. Dryden had a fit about it, so that's terrible. And why? Because Although Dryden was a bit... Although some people say that it wasn't the Latin, that Dryden did it because of uh, he hated Johnson because of the politics of the time. So. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. <laughs> oh, I think he did, but he threw the Latin as an excuse. I think definitely. <laughs>
But they were smart back then. <laughs> we have this rule because one guy hated somebody else. That's so good. He, yeah, it was like they said, because Dryden was uh, a member of the Restoration Movement, and uh, Ben Johnson was not. So uh, there was a little tension there. Dryden was a real pip, though. I mean, he would translate all of his... A lot of times he would write something in English, then retranslate it, translate it into Latin, then retranslate it back into English to make sure it like fit exactly with good Latin uh, prose or, or poesy, which is silly, I think. I have some Anglo-Saxon things I'd like to call Dryden, I think. That's just horrible. <laughs> That's just so irritating. Oh, he sounds like a real prig. Goodness. But he, he was not a very well-liked guy, apparently. <laughs> For good reason, probably. But he did start that trend of not ending with a preposition. Yeah, clearly influential. Very Although much so. it didn't really catch on until uh, Robert Louth was the grammarian who uh, wrote a book. In fairness, though, now I did some research on Robert Louth because I got curious about him. And he kind of launched a lot of prescriptive grammar uh, rules and, and, and a lot of people copied him. But he claimed that initially he wrote his book for his son about learning Latin. So in a weird way, the grammatical rules that applied to Latin got applied to English in his book, but he didn't mean it that way. So he said. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, actually, I agree with Kathy. He also, if you listen to what he said about doing it, I'm going to quote it here because um, he didn't really sound as much prescriptive as just noting what people were doing. He said, um, this is an idiom which our language is strongly inclined to. Notice he ends with a preposition here. Yeah, it prevails nice. in common conversation and suits very well with the familiar style in writing. But the placing of the preposition before the relative is more graceful, as well as more perspicuous, and agrees much better with a solemn and elevated style. So I think really what he's saying, people are blaming him. And as Kathy says, it's not really his fault. He's saying, on the one hand, in casual conversation, we say it. And when we're trying to speak in a very, you know, elegant style, we don't, which seems relatively fair. But then, but what happened was everyone sort of went, you know, bonkers with it. And part of the reason was Industrial Revolution. You wanted to sound correct. You wanted to sound fancy. You wanted to sound upper-crustic. So suddenly, you know, you started doing these things that you thought were more highfalutin. Oh, precisely. Which is a problem now, actually, still in a different way, but I won't go into that. But it's still taught. The thing that fascinates me with this is we're saying it didn't have to. It's still taught, though. I mean, you're still, I guarantee you talk to kids, and I bet they've got teachers who say don't in a sentence in a preposition. Right. And, and, if, and if the kids say why, the teachers say because that's how it is. I'm sure yeah, they don't have the answer. Yeah, because that's the rule. <laughs> because that's the rule, exactly. But there's no reason for that rule. Well, there is a reason. It's not a very good one, though. <laughs> It's, it sounds like the reason was. was it sounds like the reason was pettiness, yeah. <laughs> which which again has made my day. <laughs> well, that's the old thing. I mean, you know, and, and it's apocryphal. Winston Churchill, when he uh, was a, an editor, had corrected his manuscript or his letter. Yes, the ending a sentence with a preposition is something up with which I I will not put. Which is apocryphal completely, as Kathy said. Though I mean, he unfortunately apparently didn't say that, which bothers me. Yeah, that's that. That's too bad. Ross, you were starting to say something about about the reason, uh, maybe besides pettiness, that we don't end the sentence with a preposition. No, I think actually there is. A, it's petty completely. But one thing that a lot of grammarians have noted, though, is that a lot of people, regardless of if it's a good rule or not, still sort of stick with it. So they advise basically not ending with a preposition or trying not to. If you're involved, like in in a, in a formal speech, or you're writing a, a formal paper, or you're putting a resume on 
on. I just ended with a preposition myself. So I think in that sense, maybe what we should do really is I wouldn't really worry about it. But if you think you're going to be stuck with a bunch of sticklers around you, don't if, if it really makes a difference with getting a job or not. But sometimes, like Kathy said earlier with that example, I mean, you know, about being happy, there's nothing much to be frightened of. There's nothing of what which to be frightened. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that it's really awkward. Sometimes I think you really have to do it. And then who are you talking to? To whom were you talking? Would you ever say to whom you were talking in a conversation? No, of course not. And, and as we've said many times, uh, the whole purpose of language is to communicate. And if you're taking somebody out of the conversation uh, by trying to speak in this this faux proper way, uh, then then it really kind of ruins the communication. Yeah, you don't want to be Dryden, basically. The other thing I have to just say, one of my favorite things we found was a, a sample, and I've never seen this before, of a sentence that ends with five prepositions, which I think is overdoing it. Okay, a father of a little boy goes upstairs after supper to read to his son, but he brings the wrong book. The boy says, what did you bring that book that I don't want to be read to out of up for? <laughs> <laughs> out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. You can check out special artwork for this episode and every episode designed by Jordan Kirtley at our website, kmuw.org. And as I said at the beginning of the show, if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. And it sounds like we've got another one on the way to look forward to this year. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more, and they're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetrus.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. This isn't a split infinitive issue, but it's sort of close, and it's a good example of how we can tie ourselves into knots trying to say things the quote-unquote correct way. You may remember this. It happened, well, pretty much exactly 10 years ago. I, Barack Hussein Obama, do solemnly swear. I, Barack Hussein Obama, do solemnly swear. That I will execute the office of president to the United States faithfully. That I will execute... The off- faithfully, the pres- office of president of the, the United States. The office of president States, of the United States faithfully. And will to the best of my ability. The actual oath says, I will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States. But as you heard there, Chief Justice John Roberts initially read it out as, I will execute the office of the president of the United States faithfully. I assume so that he wouldn't split the words will and execute, although I guess it's possible it was just a mistake. As you also heard, President Obama paused for a minute, then repeated what Roberts first said, which contained the words out of order. Pretty much anybody who would really know said that either way would be okay, the oath still counts, but just so there wouldn't be a fuss, Roberts later administered Obama the oath of office a second time, because as you probably recall, a bizarre number of people questioned President Obama's legitimacy as president, and no one needed more of that headache. Of course, the second time Obama didn't swear on a Bible, which just inflamed the conspiracy theories even more, but what are you going to do? 
all because Chief Justice Roberts was worried about where to put that adverb. Or, like I said, maybe it was just a simple mistake. 